Okay, so where we left off, um, Jim was in Apple Barrel, uh, and he fell asleep. He woke up to hear Long John Silver plotting about how they were going to take over the ship. So now we are ready for Chapter 12, Council of War. There was a great rush of feet across the deck, and I could hear people tumbling up from the cabin in the forecastle and slipping in an instant outside my barrel. I dived behind the foresail, made a double towards the back of the boat, and came out upon the open deck in time to join Hunter and Dr. Livesey in the rush for the weather bow. There all the hands were already congregated. A belt of fog had lifted almost simultaneously with the appearance of the moon. Away to the southwest of us, we saw two low hills about a couple of miles apart, and rising behind one of them, a third and higher hill, whose peak was still buried in the fog, all three sharp and conical in figure. So much I saw almost in my dream, for I had not yet recovered from my horrid fear of a minute or two before. And then I heard the voice of Captain Smollett issuing orders. The Hispaniola was laid a couple of points near the wind and now sailed a course that would just clear the island on the east. And now, men, said the captain, when all was, all the sails were taken down, has any one of you ever seen that land ahead? I have, sir, said Silver. I've watered there with the trading ship I was a cook in. The anchorage is on the south, behind an island, I fancy, asked the captain. Yes, sir. Skeleton Island, they calls it. It were a main place for pirates once, and a hand we had on board note all their names for it. That hill to the northward. They call the foremast hill, and there are three hills in a row running to the south. Four, main, and mizzen, all named after sail, sir. But the main, that's the big one, with the cloud on it, they usually call spyglass. By the reason, a lookout they kept when they were in the anchorage, cleaning the boat. For it's there they cleaned their ship, sir, asking your pardon. I have a chart here, says Captain Smollett. See if that's the place. Well, Long John Silver's eyes burned in his head as he took the chart, but by the fresh look of the paper, I knew he was doomed to disappointment. This was not the map we found in Billy Bones's chest, but an accurate copy, complete in all things, names and heights and soundings, with the single exception of the red crosses and the written notes. Sharp as must have been his annoyance, Silver had the strength of mind to hide the fact that he was upset that it was not the treasure map. Yes, sir, said he, this is the spot to be sure, and very prettily drawn out. Who might have done that, I wonder? The pirates were too ignorant, I reckon. Aye, here it is, Captain Kidd's Anchorage, just the name my shipmate called it. There's a strong current runs along the south and then away northward up the coast. Right you was, sir, says he, to haul your wind and keep the weather on the other side of the island. Leastways, if it was your intention as to enter, there ain't no better place for that than the harbor there in these waters. Thank you, my man, says Captain Smollett. I'll ask you later on to give us a help. You may go. Well, I was just as surprised with which John gave up his knowledge of the island, and I myself was half frightened when I saw him drawing near to myself. He did not know, to be sure, what I had overheard in the apple barrel. And yet I had by this time taken such a horror of his plan and power that I could hardly conceal a shudder when he put his hand upon my arm. Aye, says he, 
This here is a sweet spot, this island. A sweet spot for a lad to go ashore on. You'll bathe and you'll climb trees and hunt goats you will. And you'll get aloft on them hills like you are a goat yourself. Why, it makes me young again just to think about it. I was going to forget my wooden leg I was. It's a pleasant thing to be young and have ten toes. And you may agree to that. When you want to go a bit of exploring, you just ask old John and he'll put up a snack for you to take along. And clapping me in the friendliest way upon the shoulder, he hobbled off forward and went below. Captain Smollett, the squire, and Dr. Livesey were talking together on the quarterdeck and anxious as I was to tell them my story. I dare not interrupt them openly. While I was still looking about my thoughts to find some probable excuse, Dr. Livesey called me to his side. He had left his pipe below, and being a slave to tobacco, had meant that I should fetch it. But as soon as I was near enough to speak and not to be overheard, I broke immediately. Doctor, let me speak. Get the captain and squire down to the cabin, and then make some pretense to send for me. I have terrible news. Well, the doctor changed his face, ill expressions, very little, but the next moment he was a master of himself. Why, thank you, Jim, said he quite loudly. That was all I wanted to know, as if he had asked me a question. With that, he turned on his heel and rejoined the other two. They spoke together for a little, and though none of them started or raised his voice or was so much as whistled, it was plain enough that Dr. Livesey had communicated my request, for the next thing that I heard was a captain giving an order to Job Anderson, and all hands were piped on deck. My lad, said Captain Smollett, I have a word to say to you. This land that we have sighted is the place we have been sailing for. Mr. Trelawney, being a very open-handed gentleman, as we all know, has just asked me in a word or two, and I was able to tell him that every man on board has done his duty. As I never asked to see it done better, why he and I and the doctor are going below to the cabin to drink to your health and luck, and you'll have rum served out to you for you to drink to our health and our luck. I'll tell you what I think of this. I think it is handsome. And if you think as I do, you'll give a good season cheer for the gentleman that does it. And the cheer that followed, that was a matter of course, but it rang out so full and hearty that I confess I could hardly believe these same men were plotting to kill us for our blood. But one more cheer for Captain Smollett, cried Long John, when the first one had died down. And this also was given with a will. And on top of that, the three gentlemen went below and not long after was sent forward that Jim Hawkins was wanted in the cabin. I found them all three seated around the table, a bottle of Spanish wine and some raisins before them, and the doctor smoking away with his wig on his lap. And that, I knew, was a sign that he was upset. The back window was open for it was a warm night and you could see the moon shining behind the ship. Now, Hawkins, said the squire, you have something to say. Speak up. Well, I did as I was asked, as short as I could make it, told the whole details of Silver's conversation. Nobody interrupted me till I was done, nor did any one of the three men make so much a movement, but they kept their eyes on my face from first to last. Jim said, Dr. Livesey, take a seat. And they made me sit down at a table beside them, poured me out a glass of wine, filled my hands with raisins, and all three, one after the other, and each with a bow, drank to my good health and their service to me for my luck and my courage. 
Now, Captain, said the squire, you were right and I was wrong. I own myself a fool and I await your orders. No more a fool than I was, sir, returned the captain. I never heard of a crew that meant to mutiny, but didn't show signs of the mutiny before it happened. For any man that had an eye in his head to see the mischief and take the steps according to stop it. But this crew, he said, this crew surprises me. Captain, said the doctor, with your permission, that's because of Long John Silver. He is a very remarkable man. He'd look remarkably well hanging, returned the captain, but this is talk and this don't lead to anything. I see three or four points, and with Mr. Trelawney's permission, I'll name them. You, sir, are the captain. It is for you to speak, says Mr. Trelawney grandly. First point began, Mr. Smollett. We must go on because we can't turn back. If I gave the word to go about, they would rise up against us at once. Second point, we have time before us, at least until this treasure's found. Third point, there are faithful hands. Now, sir, it's got to come to blows sooner or later. And what I propose is to take time by the hair, as the saying goes, and come to blows some fine day when they least expect it. We will pick the time to fight. We can count, I take it, on your home servants, Mr. Trelawney, to be on our side. As upon myself, declared the squire. Three, reckoned the captain. Ourselves make seven, counting Hawkins here. Now, how about the honest hands and the ship's crew? Most likely Trelawney's own men, said the doctor, those he picked for himself before he found silver. Nay, said the squire, hands, Israel hands, was one of mine. I did think I could have trusted hands, added the captain. And to think that they're all Englishmen, broke out the squire. Sir, I could find it in my heart to blow the ship up. I'm so upset. Well, gentlemen, said the captain, the best that I can say is not much. We must wait, if you please, and keep a bright lookout. I know it's trying on a man. I know it would be pleasanter to have our fight all at once. But there's no help for it till we know our men. Take your time, whistle for a win. That's my view. Be patient. Jim here, said the doctor, can help us more than anyone. The men are not shy with him, and Jim is a very noticing lad. He pays attention. Hawkins, I put prodigious faith in you, added the squire. I began to feel pretty desperate this, for I felt altogether helpless, and yet by an odd train of circumstances, it was indeed through me that the safety came. In the meantime, talk as we please, there were only seven out of the 26 on whom we could trust. And out of these seven, one was me, a boy. So that the grown men on our side were six to their 19. Now we're ready for part three, my short adventure. <laughs>